0: by, by um, you know, the teaching and the time of prayer and the fellowship and all the worship that we've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I, uh, I, in, in firing up uh, this message and preparing it and thinking it through, um, I, I, uh, I sat down and I spent some time trying to think of like, the best time I can remember in my life. You know, the the times that I, I look back on with the most fondness, and I, I had this realization that, that the times that I tell stories about that I'm most sort of enthralled with and I remember most fondly are are not my best times, which is weird. Like, and specifically, they're my college times. Um, some of y'all can relate to this. You went to college, and you think back to college, and there's all this, like, fond memory um, and and i i think back to all the crazy stories that i tell and all the experiences i had and 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 for the most part i was almost always sick i was poor as dirt my car broke down once a week uh i didn't date very much <laughs> i know it's shocking i <laughs> but that generally that stuff didn't work out very well for me on a regular basis um I lived at college year-round, so, like, I, I remember eating Thanksgiving dinner at Denny's a few times, like, by myself, which is just not all that fun. Like, but but as I think back, and I've tried to kind of piece together what it makes, what makes that period so fun, or so so fondly remembered, it is there were all of these people that I had to live in a building with, and, and I was forced uh, to spend time with them and to talk with them and to socialize with them and to eat meals with them and, and everything else. And I say forced because like I enjoyed it, and I remember thinking how wonderful it was. And the first few years after I was out of college, I would go back and visit, and I would spend time with these people. And I really, really remembered it so fondly, and I yearned to go back there. And, and, and as time went on and I got a little older, I began to realize that 80% of those people are people I don't want to associate with for any reason. I mean, like, I, I'm, they're brothers and sisters in Jesus, and that's wonderful. But a lot of times, like, you know, and I, and I know this goes both ways because there are a bunch of those people who mysteriously disappeared from my life <laughs> where where I looked one day, and I'm like, wait a minute, they unfriended me on Facebook. What, what just happened? You know, because I was the obnoxious guy. But But the thing with college and the thing with that time is that it is this period of time where all of this change is happening. There's all this excitement, all this growth, all this new stuff. But you're sharing your lives very intimately and closely with people. And like, so when they have a good day, you know it. And you hear about it. When you have a good day, they know it. And they hear about it. When your life is a train wreck, guess what? They know, right? Um, when your life is a train wreck, they know because they sleep in the same room as you. I, I remember... Um, I, I got really sick my last year of college. I got mono. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, but I didn't realize until much later that God used it in a big way to, to make my life work out in a great, you know, I mean, it, it was a real blessing. But I remember being sick for a month. And I, I remember wearing the same clothes for three weeks straight. Like, because like, I was so sick. I was sleeping like 22 hours a day, and I couldn't swallow and i couldn't like i i roll out of bed and go to the bathroom and drink a glass of water like and i couldn't swallow cuz my throat was swollen up and i go back to bed and people would like come by and visit me or bring me food and then there was the day that my roommate said eric y- 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 you're sleeping on the couch cuz we don't want you to get us sick it was okay and then like after a week and they're like eric it's too messy in here you need to get up and do something about it we can't deal with the mess and so i like pulled out the couch bed and laid back down and they're like well we can't see it anymore that's fine you know and but I had all these like friendships that were so close and intimate and awesome and 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 it seemed important and it seemed like a big deal and it was right um, This is the illustration i 'm using we 're going to be going into kind of the a, a new series here, we've been talking about the body of Christ, you know, sort of the church as the body of Christ, which is Paul's theology, sort of the interconnectedness of the parts of the body and, and um, how Christ is the head and each of us has a role and how we're supposed to approach and deal with each other. We're going to look at what it means in action, right? So this is a whole new series. We're going to look at what does the church look like when it's in motion, when it's doing what the church does, when it, when it is like that, you know, the, the, the ideal, we're going to go back to the very beginning, the birth of the church. And the cool thing about the birth of the church is um, that uh, it gives us a good idea of what the Holy Spirit meant to birth in the church. Because there are a bunch of things that happen very spontaneously. Or not so spontaneously, maybe, if the Holy Spirit made it happen. But like there are all these things that happened really quickly and all at once that were a big deal and that we can learn from and we can imitate. Um, Mind you, these are things that are a byproduct of something bigger. And we'll get into that. I have no background because I already talked about all of it. We're going to do just a little bit of Acts 2 because I realized I was going to rewrite the whole sermon to do the beginning of Acts 2. And then I realized I was going to spend the next three weeks preaching Acts 2. And I I didn't want to do that. And so I'm going to paintbrush broadly. This is the the roller. Got it? This is right after Christ has ascended, right? And the disciples were told, hey, you're going to hang out here in Jerusalem. You'll know when to leave. And so they hang out in Jerusalem. And about 10 days later, there's this thing called Pentecost that happens. Pentecost, um, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound, like a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where, uh, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues... Um, as the Spirit enabled them. And so really quickly, what happened is um, there is sort of this next step where Christ leaves, and Christ tells them, hey, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send another, and he is going to help you out. And this is the day that happens. The Holy Spirit shows up, and the Holy Spirit shows up in this huge, dramatic way with this rushing wind that fills the house and fire and everything else. And these guys are probably in an, oh, my gosh, what just happened state. And they suddenly begin speaking in languages they don't know. Right? This is, um, I don't want to get into it in depth, um, maybe another week. Uh, but, but so they start speaking in these other languages, and it's a big deal because this is during a festival. And it was during a festival, I believe it was a harvest festival, um, when uh, people from all over the Roman Empire were there. At the same time, the city of Jerusalem would have quadrupled in size. The people, I mean, just overflowing with pilgrims coming to worship at the temple and offer sacrifices. And so there is a ton of folks there. And this house, I've been in it, which is kind of cool. I can say that. I've been in it. It's been rebuilt. It's got kind of a crusader-looking look to it now because it was rebuilt in the Middle Ages. But the floor is still the same. Some of the stones are original. Like, it is the house. It is right next to the tomb of King David, by the way. Kind of cool. Um... So right there, this house, it fills up with the Holy Spirit. And there's this moment when they begin speaking in other languages. And God has this awesome plan because it says, Now there were are staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Um, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So people from all over the world, speaking literally dozens of languages, show up. And they're like, why are these people speaking our language? Have you ever, any of y'all ever visited a foreign country? If you spend a lot of time in a place where nobody speaks the language that you speak, and then you're walking through a crowd and suddenly you hear somebody speaking English, it is exciting, right? <laughs> it's, oh, my gosh, you speak English. Where are you from? You know, it, it, um, Jess and I were in Costa Rica for a little while, and we, we picked up a hitchhiker, which is dumb. Um, but he... It, well, a kind of English. He was Canadian, um, <laughs> so, But but it was this exciting thing meeting another person who spoke English, and we drove him. He well, we drove him to where he was going, and it was a very exciting kind of neat thing. He was he was on vacation, um, so they he, they heard their language. This is exciting. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our own native language?" Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. I'm sorry, my ancient is awful. Um, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Firga, Firga, my again, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? So these guys are from all over, and suddenly they're hearing their own languages. They're looking, and they're like, these guys are from Galilee. Now, Galilee was a fishing community. There's a whole lot of nothing there. Got it? It was around a big lake, but, I mean, I mean, literally, there was a road, and that was the important part. I mean, that was it. And they, they fished, and the fish were easily brought to Jerusalem, and that's, that's about it. Like, there's not a whole lot going on there. This is roughly like saying, why did these hillbillies speak so many languages? Got it? And God had a plan. God's plan was, through the Holy Spirit, he was going to communicate the gospel miraculously. And that's what he did. Suddenly, all of these people are hearing the gospel in their own languages, um, and one of them stands up and says, you know what? They're all drunk. And they're, oh, yeah, they're probably drunk, but, I mean... I used to drink too much once upon a time, and I never spoke a different, well, maybe a different language, but not an intelligible language. Um, before Jesus found me and fixed me, so that wasn't a glorifying thing. Anyway, um, this you know, they're drunk, and then Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter goes on and he preaches this sermon. He tells about Jesus, and he talks about King David at length, right next to David's tomb, right? Like he could point at it from where he was, which is really cool. So if you go back and read this sermon on your own, we're not doing it today. I'm sorry. It was too big of a divert. Not that this isn't a huge divert already. Um, but he preaches this sermon, and it is a powerful sermon. Um, there's about a hundred believers in Jesus, twelve guys, or eleven guys in the room here, but there's about a hundred followers of Jesus at this point. The church is tiny. Um, and so Peter preaches this sermon. He gets to the end and he says, or Peter, they said, What do we need to be saved? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. By the way, I'm gonna hit this real quick. What Peter said to them wasn't be circumcised. It wasn't follow the commandments. It wasn't get right with God and then you're forgiven. It was repent, which means feel shame and guilt and remorse for the things that you've done. Turn around and go the other way. In Hebrew, that is literally what it means. Turn around and go the other way, right? And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Um, Think about the good news in that. Because, like, this is Jewish folks who carry the weight of the law, which is unattainable. And then god fears are Jewish folks who hadn't become Jews yet because they were converts. And they had to do a whole, like, decade-long process to become, like, actual Jews. And Peter says, believe, repent, be baptized, and you're saved. That's fantastic. And so these guys are excited about this. And they're excited at the miracle that they're witnessing um, and the holy spirit's fill, filling them right they're knowing I can be forgiven for my sins for this like this is it This is amazing and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit, which is what we receive when we believe in christ We are given the holy spirit. He fills all of you who believe in jesus and are his followers You can't get away from that. That's an awesome thing the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Meaning, this promise isn't just for the insiders, it's for people who find themselves far away from God, which is awesome, right? Why am I going over all of this? Because if you're going to understand the church, you're going to understand the body of Christ and what it's supposed to do, you don't understand it in a vacuum, right? Um, The reality is the body of Christ is people who are far off and called in. It's not the people who were born of the right family. It's not the people who were perfect their whole lives. It's not the people who make the right amount of money or vote the right way or anything like that. It is the people who were far off and were saved by the blood of Jesus. That is it. That is the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, glued together and made into something amazing. Um, With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Um, so they've gone from about 100 people to 3,000, right? I mean, there's an explosion. And the cool thing about this explosion is that most of them ain't from around here, right? So they're all going to go home, and suddenly the gospel is going to be spread all over. Um, this is a huge deal, Um but that is the case like so they are there and they're gathered and you ha- suddenly have this mega church thousands of people gathered together and the body of Christ is glued and come to life in this spot right here. And what happens? Well, this is the meat of the sermon. OK, so all of this to get here. Um, but the important thing to note for this first half point one. Oh, my gosh, it took him 12 minutes to get to point one. Um, the important thing to understand, the Holy Spirit made it happen. Right. When I talk about college And I love college. We lived together and associated with each other and hung out and played cards and listened to music and screwed around and everything else because we lived in the same building together. And because we found some commonality and that forced proximity made it happen. And it was awesome. The church experiences community and experiences unity and experiences life together because God the Holy Spirit infests us and makes us one and draws us into community and what like, makes us desire to spend time together. Um, some of you might be sitting there and saying, I don't really like being in crowds of people that much. I'm an introvert. Sorry, you're all going to No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just because you're introverted doesn't mean you don't have community. I don't know anybody who is so introverted that they don't want to talk to folks. Is that about right? I don't want to have anybody in my life I'd like to sit in my room alone all day, every day for the rest of my life. Nobody is like that. I mean, there are people like that. They become, you know, hermits and stuff like that, um, comic book fans. And, um, but the, the, the bulk of people, like community is a part of what we're designed for. And part of what makes the church community work is the Holy Spirit in us and Christ having redeemed us and us all being glued together in that. That's why I started there. This is a big chunk of what we talked about in the past few weeks. Um, so, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four things, right? Um, They devoted themselves. The word devoted means that they were constantly engaging in this or they pursued after it or this became like priority to them. It does not say that they wanted to do these things necessarily. I'm sure that some of them did, right? But there's a difference. Sometimes we get confused. We say, I want to do this. I don't want to do it. Um, want or emotion or what have you doesn't direct our spiritual life. Does that make sense? I, I rarely, there are a lot of things I don't want to do, but I do because they help me grow spiritually. There are a lot of things I do because like, I know this is what God wants me to do. And ultimately I grow through it. Um, forgiving people. Anybody love forgiving people? Anybody love repenting, like confessing your sins to somebody that you've wronged and, and confessing and, and, you know, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm a terrible person. I did these things wrong, and I'm the worst guy ever. I am so sorry. Or going to somebody you've been arguing with for a week or two and saying, I was wrong. Like, I, I, this is the wrong thing I've done. Anybody feel good about that? There's like two of you, and I'm not one of them. I'm raising my hand to point out that you should be raising your hand. I, my hand is not up. Um, the reality is those things help us grow. I think that this devoted themselves, some of it was things that they loved. I think some of it was this This helps. This is how we grow. To the apostles' teaching, meaning they learned, they studied, they spent time with guys who knew Jesus directly, and they heard. Um, I read a great list that summarized this. Uh, the things they probably were taught, if you like, sort of sluice out teachings from the book of Acts and from the Gospels, the nature of salvation, what does salvation look like, how does it work, how are we saved, uh, the person and work of Christ, like if we're going to know Christ, we actually probably ought to know something about him. Does that make sense? Um, it's easy to remember in college I met this girl, uh, and I, I, I met her briefly, and she was in a bunch of the same classes as me, but I was way too shy to talk to her, and so I started trying to figure out what she was like. And like by the end of several months, I had this whole like thing figured about who she was. And then I had a conversation with her, and I was completely wrong. <laughs> and she was a lot less interesting than I thought she would be. Um, it is easy to turn Jesus into someone He isn't, right? We imagine, well, Jesus, you know, this and Jesus that, and Jesus. I'm coming to know Jesus intimately is a big deal. And so knowing the person and work of Christ, knowing Jesus' commands like turn the other cheek, forgiving others, et cetera, like these are huge um. And, like, other features of the Christian life or other commands. Like, this is what they were probably learning. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of what we do, we gather and we hear the gospel preached. Ideally, we spend time together, like, talking about Jesus. So, like, we grow and we read and we study and we do this. Um, Interestingly enough, throughout the Gospels, throughout the, excuse me, throughout the New Testament, we never see major components of the Christian life referred to, or we rarely see major components of the Christian life referred to, in the singular it's always in the plural, you know why? Because we were meant to be in community with each other, we were meant to share our lives together, we were meant to like pray together. When I fall on my face and my life falls apart, I'm meant to have a couple of guys I can talk to, right when i 'm depressed, I'm meant to have a couple of people I can connect to and say, "You know what? I feel like junk today um, This is a part of who we're meant to be. Um, This is a part of how we're designed, and people are designed that way. We are designed to be in fellowship with each other. Even if it's just with one person or two people, like, we're designed to have connection. This is how we're made. Um, And people hunger for this. We live in a time when people, like, desire this desperately, and they don't have it. Um, So the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The word fellowship um, generally is used in the New Testament to refer to intimacy or a sharing of life. Right? Some of you all have folks like that in your lives, right? I every Monday, most Mondays, not every Monday, I have a group of folks from this church and some other folks who come to my house and we play board games or cards or whatever. And that started with playing board games with a smaller group of those people, which started with watching movies with Michael on Monday nights, like three years ago. <laughs> um, this is kind of the idea here. I. Stephanie has a knack for this. She's one of those people that brings people into our house, right? Um, I'm going to pick on you guys. The Merrills. we used to, last year in the fall, we went out to dinner with them to the Grand Union. And it was like one of the best things. I loved it so much. It was so much fun. Um, this is fellowship, right? It is spending time with other believers. It is being in community. It is sharing, like, in community, the, you know, in fellowship, who Christ is. And it's part of how we're designed. It feeds us spiritually. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the coolest things I've ever read from him, and I've used it a bunch of times, I'm not sure if I've used it here, was talking to another guy, and the guy asked him, well, do I have to go to church to be a believer? And, and he says, well, no. And he takes the fire tongs, he reaches into the fire, and he grabs a coal, and he takes it out, and he drops it on the hearth, and then he starts talking again. And, and he says, what does that coal look like? And he says, well, it's red hot. It's been in the fire. And they, they move on. And about 20 minutes later, he turns. He says, what does the coal look like now? What does it look like after 20 minutes? Not any red hot anymore, right? It's got a cooling effect. Because it's away from the heat of the rest of the fire. Part of how we are designed as believers is to sharpen and challenge and push and like grow together. The more isolated we become, the easier it is to do stupid things. It's true, right? The worst sins we commit are sins that we commit alone or where nobody knows what we're doing. And they're not things that we put out there. We hide them, right? We don't, we don't advertise it. We, we bury it. Um, there's a joke on the Internet uh, you see a lot. You know, if I die, delete my browser history so nobody knows where I've been. You know why that is? It's because people sin anonymously, and even after they're dead, they don't want anybody to see it, right? We sin anonymously. It's the truth. Fellowship keeps that from happening. I found that um, in my own life, I have to talk to other people so I don't become crazy in my own head. Because if I think about something enough, I can convince myself of weird things. But if I talk to other people, they can say, Eric, you're being nuts. Eric, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Eric, knock it off. Um, Or what if it's this? Or what if you're not thinking about this right? Um, So fellowship, it's huge. It is breathing in the Christian life in a lot of ways. Like the breaking of bread... This is communion. Got it? Like they would gather together. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would break bread. They would drink the wine. They would celebrate Jesus died for us, rose again. We are like like taking him into us. This is it. Like this is communion. That's what it is. Um, it could refer to eating meals together. It could refer to like the agape love meal that took place in some of the ancient churches. Um, but the reason I'm saying this is look at this list. Teaching, fellowship, Breaking bread and prayer. They're all like these hugely spiritual things. And so then if you suddenly say, yeah, have lunch together sometimes. It doesn't fit quite as well as like celebrate the Lord's Supper together, right? And especially in the early church, um, there's a lot of evidence like in the Didach and other books like other early documents that they took communion every time they sat down together. So they'd sit down to eat a meal and they'd break up the bread and hand the wine around and they'd do communion. Like it was a part of who they were. Um, so the breaking of bread and a prayer um like so the early believers um prayer was a huge deal it was um i know we do b- big community prayer and that's a big deal that's important that's a part of who we are um the early documents again like the didach which was a handbook for early church right you know like they had instructions what do you do if you need to do a baptism and you're in the desert you know how do you dunk them well you use a basin of water and dump it over head it's good enough don't worry Like, um, that's what the didach was. And amongst other things it says, pray the Lord's Prayer. Like, when you gather together to pray, you should pray the Lord's Prayer. This is a big deal. It's important. It's a good thing to do. Do this. Um, It talked about, like the early church fathers talked about, prayer becoming conversational. This idea that you can sit and talk to God and just engage with him and say, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm struggling. Prayer is huge. So these are the four things that are sort of markers of what the early church did naturally. That's awesome. Right? Because it's not that hard. Um, and there's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. There's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit infesting us and making us desire to spend time together and to, like, learn about Jesus and to break bread, like, do communion together and to pray and to do all these things. This is who we are meant to be, and God makes it happen. I've um, got a couple more verses left, and we're almost there. And now this oh, yes. All right. Um, all the believers – oh, nope. I skipped one. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So, everybody everybody was impressed. Like the community and the believers were impressed because the disciples were performing miracles. Um, This is a whole other topic. Um, um, I think that the big important thing to understand here is that the Holy Spirit was investing the community, infesting the community. They were seeing big things happen. They lived in awe of what God was doing constantly. Um, All the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, this is a big one, and here's why. First off, actually, there's a little hidden bit in the Greek. So we've got to touch on the Greek. Um, the Greek hidden bit here is the infinitive versus the imperfect forms. Imperfect means you did it in this instance. Infinitive is you did it forever. Got it? Um, In this instance, what we're seeing is if somebody looked at the guy next to him and said, I see that you are starving, I'm going to sell these things, I'm going to make sure you get fed today. Um, This is during a time when things like credit didn't exist, right? Like credit was specifically illegal uh, in in Jewish world. Like you, you did not borrow money against interest, it didn't happen, like it was illegal. And so like... Very few people accumulated money. Most people lived hand-to-mouth. You were a subsistence economy. People starved to death. It was a very common thing. Like, the whole thing, I was naked and you clothed me. Like, it was possible to end up with no clothing. And there wasn't so much you could run to the Goodwill and shoplift some. Like, it just, you know, like, it just wasn't common. Um, I mean, people throw away clothes now, right? Right. I constantly have a bag of stuff like where I'm like, well, that doesn't fit right anymore and that's kind of out of style and I'll give that stuff away. People didn't do that. And so in this time, um, the idea that somebody would see the guy next to him in need and get rid of what he has in order to help him out is a big deal. Um, we'll probably talk about this a little more in coming weeks. Um, I, I, there's a whole thing about Ananias and Sapphira that's a fun conversation, but we're not going to do that today. Um, the big important thing is they looked at each other and they took care of each other. Um, I've seen examples of this around here. I've seen where somebody has a problem with a combine and then the neighbors all show up and, and help them out, right? Or somebody gets sick and people put in time on the farm to help them out. I've seen where, you know, actually in my own life I've needed a truck and people have loaned them to me willingly, which is awesome because I wouldn't trust my driving. Um, <laughs> um, or, or where folks will say, well, hey, I'll watch your kids. You go do what you need to do. Or, hey, um, you know, I, 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 whatever. Like, there are all of these ways that we hold things in common. We take care of each other. This is central to what it means to be the church. Like, the body of Christ in action takes care of itself. Uh, last passage. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, the reason I'm drawing this out, like, I'm going to take a quick second. This is in Jerusalem. They gathered in the temple courts. Um this tells us that they didn't consider themselves not to be Jewish anymore, right? And, in fact, actually, early Christians met in synagogues and in the temple courts until the Jews made it impossible, right? And there's actually great history, like, you can read up on where, like, the ancient Jewish sects, like, said, all right, well, these Christians are not acceptable. We need to get them out of here. And so, like, there are prayer books, first-century prayer books where – They'd be like, and God, please kill everyone who is a pagan and a follower of Jesus. And, you know, all these guys who are followers of Jesus are in the room listening to the prayer like, well, okay. (laughs) And so they started meeting other places, like in houses. Um, In Corinth, there's a a strong indication that people gathered in, like, a large house. And there was just a large house that everybody worshipped in, right? Um, At this time, like, it was probably the case that people – met together in homes and then also went to the temple and worshiped together and um, spent time in community together in that setting, um, preaching and stuff like that. Um, So temple and synagogues, they did this and they did this for a while. And eventually they had to stop doing it because there was tension, um, but they did it for a long time. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now watch this. Um, Eating together is a big deal, right? It's actually one thing I love about Big Sandy. Y'all are good at eating together. I didn't even get an amen. (laughs) I knew Mike was going to respond to that, so I wrote that, and I was like, Mike's going to say something, because it's true, right? Um, Gathering together and eating and spending time talking and enjoying, like, company, that's actually the best thing. One of the best things I've done here every year has been participating in brandings, right? Because what's the thing you do after you get done branding? You eat until you can't stand up, and you laugh, and you joke, and you, you know, if you're at the Bits' house, somebody throws snowballs at you while you're trying to eat, or whatever. Um, like, it is a good time. Like, in people fellowship, they eat together. Sharing life together is a part of the equation. Um, and they did this with glad and sincere hearts. Um, the word sincere is a little tough to understand. There's a bunch of different meanings. Um, I think the sense of it is like a generosity of spirit, or like a sense of... Like, no pretense, and we're connected, and it was like just this. We're family together, right? Um, it's a wonderful thing when you can find it. Um, actually, it's one of the best things in life when you can find it. I think it's part of what college was, like why college felt so wonderful. Um, but this is something that's supposed to happen every day and forever. And it can, but we have to do it, right? Right? Um, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all of all the people now watch this praising God is a natural offshoot of this life I remember in college these people many of whom I don't associate with anymore because I can't like get along with them very well Any longer but like when we were forced to live together Sometimes we would stop in the chapel and one guy would sit down at the piano and we would just sing for like half an hour for no reason And then we'd you know go back to our rooms And we spend time worshiping God just because, because it felt like the thing to do. And that is a big part of what it means to be in community as the body of Christ, is worship. Like, it just sort of happens naturally. Now, everybody likes to sing. I get that. But, like, praising God is kind of a part of the equation. Um, Enjoy the favor of all people. Now, if you met folks who live like this, you'd probably get along with them, right? Um, I think the early Christians amongst the majority of the population were not disliked. Eventually persecution came, but I think initially this worked out really well, and people were like, I want whatever it is these guys have. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, This is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit being present, right? Like the Holy Spirit's all over this place, and so, of course, they grew. But I think another part of it is if you live like that, you would think people would gravitate to it, wouldn't you? I mean, I've had people come here and tell me that the thing that really drew them in the end was that people were just, you know, the community. Like, that is a huge blessing when you find it. It is a huge blessing. Um, It is one of the most sought-after gifts in our culture. Um, And I say this because, like, everybody in the room who's got a Facebook, Twitter account, a Facebook or a Twitter account, raise your hand. How many of y'all have one? How many of y'all look at it more than you wish you had to? How many of you waste time with it periodically? Um, how many of you, praise God, that you can be in contact with people that you haven't seen in years? And that's the big plus. But a lot of times, what what like I've read all of these studies here recently where they're finding that people are increasingly doing less face-to-face socializing and more Facebook socializing. You know why? Because it's easy. <laughs> um, there uh, uh, was a study I read about fast food eating trends amongst millennials, and I'm not knocking on millennials. I like them. Um, but millennials are more likely to go through the drive-thru so they don't have to talk to someone face-to-face. Well, how many of you all use the self-checkout in Walmart so you don't have to talk to anyone? Really? Just like three of us? Like, yeah. How many of you are lying? Um, we, uh, social media is so popular because people are lonely. It's the truth. People are lonely. People are dying of loneliness. People are, are, you know, jumping into alcohol and eating too much and wasting time on the Internet and pursuing everything in the world trying to find meaningful connection. And honestly, that's what we're supposed to be. And that's awesome. We, It's like being the guy with one eye in, in the kingdom of the blind, right? Like this is what we're supposed to be. This is what God meant us to be. This is what we're designed to be. And if we live like this... It would change everything because people are, people are dying for this. Um, I'm shocked. I, one of the things my wife and I talk about a lot, and she teases me about it, um, I've discovered that people, people tell me the most insane things. Like one day we were stuck in a snowbank. This is 15 years ago. We were stuck in a snowbank on Christmas. And there were power outages all over because there was a huge snowstorm, and we got stuck in the snow. And this guy pulls up and he's pulling us out. And I got out and I'm freezing and I'm talking to this guy. I get back in the car after five minutes of him pulling us out of the snow. And I said, Oh, yeah, that guy, his name is this. He's on his way to his um, ex wife's house, he didn't want to get divorced. But his wife insisted, and he's trying to get her back. And his daughter's there, and he misses her a lot. And the power's out, and he's terrified that they're cold. And he's trying to go and figure out what he can do to help them. And and I'm going on and on. And he said, "Well, you know, that you really struggled with this when they were getting divorced, and this happened." And my wife's like, "Like, I told you all of that, (laughs) really?" But the reality is that most people are dying for someone to talk to. Isn't it true? I remember when I was drinking too much and I was, I was screwing up my life and the life of everyone around me, I would think regularly about going to the Catholic church so I could sit in confession and just talk to the pastor. Priest, not a pastor. So I could tell them what, what was going on with me and how I was failing at life because I just wanted to talk to someone. I just wanted to get it off my chest because I was drowning in it. But I was afraid to tell anyone because they're all going to. Oh, you guys do this too, huh? It's the truth though, isn't it? And we hide in anonymity. But that's not what we're meant to be. If we're the body of Christ, we're connected together, drawing life out of the head, which is Christ, and it's supposed to be everything. My challenge for you, and as we go forward in the coming weeks, what we're going to be talking about is this idea. Guys, we're designed to be together. We're designed to share our lives together. We're designed to spend time with each other. We're designed to be open with each other and to like fellowship with each other. We're designed to actually. The thing I'm looking forward to most in the coming months. I really want to go hunting with Ross. Like I had so much fun doing that last year. I, I'm looking forward to doing it, but I need a place to go. So if you have places where we could go shoot things, just <laughs> quick advertisement. But it's just time kind, of, kind of driving around and talking, right? How how often do you get to do that? Is such a blessing, so in the coming weeks, and my challenge for you is those four things: how much of that is what your life looks like the the um, devoted to teaching the the time of fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, like how much of this is who you are, like how much of this reflects in who you are in relation to the church, and like, like if you think there should be more, come talk to me. I would be happy to help you get there i know i'm i 'm um, kind of throwing a lot out there. But we're going to close in prayer, and, and hopefully this spoke to you, hopefully it challenged you. I was hugely challenged um, studying it this week. So let's let's pray, and let's uh, let's enjoy some time of fellowship before we head out. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that folks who are just yearning for fellowship, yearning for a time of intimacy and prayer and connection and, and to know you, Lord, um, I pray that you would touch their hearts and, and drive them to, to step out and, and take the risk of being being in community lord and it's scary i mean it is a scary thing to be in community it's a scary thing to be open it's so much easier to hide behind facebook or twitter or whatever like but lord i pray that you would give us give us grace to 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 be the body together help us to be the body in action in jesus name amen have a good sunday guys